Hemophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and welcome to a brand new season of Anglophilia. I'm Stephanie Callis. I'm Kaylee McMahon. What's going on, bruh? Let's see. Well, I had a really good week last week. Again, Stephanie, this is weird that this happened between our second and third seasons and then also between our third and fourth seasons, but I got to see Stephanie in person last week. I know, it was so much fun. And I learned that Kaylee is a rock star to plenty of people in this world, including oh. people from America and Australia. That's, that's And uh, um, was there a Canadian chick too? Probably. Dudes, dudes, it was incredible. Kaylee, a lot of you already know, but I'm telling the people who don't know, and then she'll do a better job of telling it, but right now I'm just <laughs> gushing like a mum. But she wrote the lyrics for an incredible musical called Twisted, which was produced and directed and starring these incredible weirdos that go by Starkid, who also make all these <laughs> other fabulous musicals and put them on YouTube. And so Kaylee was going to be in town for a Starkid reunion. And she's like, would you want to come to the show? And I thought, of course I do. Where is it? She's like, I don't know. I will tell you later. So then it's the day of the show. And I realize I still don't know where the show is. And I Googled it. It's at the fucking Ace Hotel in downtown LA. So like one of the, my favorite theaters, gorgeous. I've seen the Pixies and Nick Cave there. And now I'm going to see Kaylee's show there. Well, and I, I was outside it, but... <laughs> at Will Call waiting for Kaylee. And like within seconds, someone comes up to her and says, are you Kaylee McMahon? And I just thought, okay, she really undersold this. She absolutely (laughs) did not tell me this was going to be in a major Los Angeles venue and that people were going to come up to her and literally ask for autographs. But it kept happening. I paid I paid that kid dude. No, I that was that was very that was like the only time that that happened. That was really fortuitous that it happened to be as I met Stephanie the sweetest kid who had flown all the way from Perth, Australia to come see the show happened to like recognize me and ask for a picture. It was really great. But yeah, no, Team Starkid, this past thing, it was called Starkid Homecoming, and it was a celebration of the 10-year anniversary of the formation of Team Starkid with their first musical, the one that started it all, the Harry Potter parody that we all know and love called A Very Potter Musical. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It still holds up. It's very charming, very funny. And also check out Twisted, the untold story of a royal vizier, which is a parody of Disney's Aladdin from the point of view of Jafar, a la Wicked. I'm I'm still pretty proud of that shit. And so, yeah, there were three songs from Twisted that were featured in the concert. And it was so cool to hear it in front of that many people, because I've never been in a room where that many people were hearing stuff that I'd written. And it was insane. And the people were screaming out the fucking words. There was a girl, the row in front of us, who I was convinced could actually explode from from joy (laughs) at any given second. She would be completely still. And then this like weird frenetic kinetic energy would overtake her and she would scream out one of the lines and then go back to sitting still. And no, it was really, yeah, dude. it was so fun. But also, this is something that we've talked about in a number of episodes on this podcast, which is the futility of censorship, because this was a show that had been advertised as being a family friendly show. And Star Kid, for those of you not familiar, uh, we're a bunch of potty mouths. Sorry, not sorry. 
And so there's this one lyric in this song. They heavily rely on the word tiger fucker for this song from Twisted. And uh, and we changed it to tiger lover. And that was fine. So there were 11 people on stage who shouted tiger lover, but they were not prepared for the 1,600 people in the audience to all shout tiger fucker and completely drown out the people on stage. So, yeah. Censorship is, uh, <laughs> there's just no point. I don't know. Everybody who was going there has probably already seen at least some of the original shows. I was going to say, if the actual musicals aren't technically family-friendly in the, the completely squeaky clean sense, then why start now? I really liked it. I liked that the censorship was overpowered by everyone's knowledge and love of the, the word tiger fucker. It's a great... It's a great line and a great song, well, if I do say so myself. Because you, you wrote that, I assume. You know, it came from the script. So okay. I didn't, like, come up with the idea that this character had allegedly fucked a tiger. He doesn't really. It's just a rumor that gets started. But, um, but yeah, no, I used it used it in the song. Lovely. Um, and then one other really cool thing happened that weekend, which was that I got to meet, unfortunately, Stephanie didn't also get to meet her, but one of our best fans, Lark, shout out, Lark, you're so amazing. She's been like following us on Twitter and retweeting and posting things so diligently from the very beginning. And she gave me a birthday present, which was my first piece of, of like real tangible homemade fan art. And I'm actually using it right now. It is a pillow with the Emlothelia logo on it. And it's perfect because now I can always use it for lumbar support uh, whenever I record this show. And I will always think of her. So thank you, Lark, once again. Oh, my gosh. She she sent me a picture of it when it was not yet completed. Can you see it? Oh, my. What? I know. Okay, Lark, with, with your permission, I would love to tweet a photo of that because everybody needs to know that you're you're good at what you do. For sure. So, so cool. So shall we get started into season four? Yeah, we shall get started into season four. You want to okay. you wanna take it away? Yeah. Okay, so guys, this time our season four has a theme, which was largely based on convenience, but our, our theme for season four is One Season Wonders. And we did that so that we would be able to churn out a season in a relatively short amount of time. And also so that you guys at home listening who maybe don't feel like, you know, watching 12 seasons of a sitcom just so that you can understand every little reference that we make in an hour-long podcast uh, because you have lives unlike us. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Stephanie and I have lives. We just choose to devote it to watching all of the Britcoms that we can. But, uh, but yeah. Yeah, you guys couldn't see me roll my eyes just then. So every week, I'm, I was, that was self-deprecating, but I realized that I accidentally deprecated another in that, and I, I didn't mean to implicate you, Stephanie. I have no life. I'll readily admit that. Stephanie, uh... You, you may. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't just rolling my eyes for myself. You clearly have a life. We've just spent ten minutes talking about how you have. Like, okay, okay. Well, that was that was one day in a year. Art. So let's let's calm ourselves down. No, okay. Will uh, you anyway, listen thank to you. this? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry. No, I. Uh, where the hell was I going? With this? Oh yeah. So so anyway, each week we're gonna be talking about a different series that's gonna take like three to four hours for you to binge at home if you're interested in keeping up. And so for our season premiere, 
we are going to be talking about Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> yes, and we happened upon that. I, ju- I just want to say really quick, when we went to see The League of Gentlemen live um, last year, we attempted to do a bit of schmoozing with people in the audience, fellow like-minded um, Britcom lovers, and um, more than one group of people told us, like, well, if you like this, you should watch Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Um, and so I know that, at least for me, that was my first time ever even hearing the title not sure about you but uh anyway if any of you were at that show and remember us and told us to watch it thank you yeah thanks for the wreck i actually had seen an episode or two of this in college but uh we'll get to that later after do my little spiel so garth Marenghi's dark place is a sci-fi horror spoof that ran for one season like all the shows we're going to be talking about this season airing on channel four from january to march 2004 it was created and written by richard Iowati and matthew holness who also starred in the show alongside matt barry and alice lowe holness mm-hmm. plays best-selling horror author garth Marenghi, a character that appeared in two consecutive edinburgh fringe shows in 2000 and 2001 Garth Marenghi's Fright Night, that's night with a K, and Garth Marenghi's Netherhead, which won the Perrier Award. The concept of the television show is that in the 1980s, Marenghi and his publisher, Dean Lerner, played by Richard Iowati, produced a TV show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, a very cheesy, low-budget hospital drama with supernatural elements, which in the world of the show was never aired, except in Peru, until now, during, quote, the worst artistic drought in broadcast history, when Channel 4 desperately needed something to fill their schedule and came crawling back to air six episodes of the long-lost series. The show within a show is also interspersed with present-day interviews from the surviving cast members that follow the format of DVD commentary. Now, this is this is an interesting show because it very skillfully parodies two different genres at once, and they're both equally delightful. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you've got the the cheesy '80s, you know, bad on purpose TV show that it really faithfully mimics the low budget horror TV from that time, and then on the other hand, you've got a really delightful mockumentary framing device, and they switch back and forth, and I'm never mad about the transition. No, I I love it so much, and um, for something that I feel like I've seen before I felt that it still managed to to surprise me. Of course, I'm not going to be able to think of an example at this exact moment because I'm still I'm still waking up. When you say something you've seen before, do you mean like trying to be bad on purpose, like that genre of imitating a low quality? The genre of trying to be bad on purpose as well as the genre of mockumentary. I mean, neither of those things are actually anything different and then you know, when when you think about The Office, Christopher Guest, people who have nailed it like so perfectly you kind of mm-hmm. wonder why anybody's kind of attempting it again. But if you can come in and, and master it, that's great. And I think that the six episodes is sort of maybe a key to that as well in the in the case of this show. Yeah. Neither of the parodies ever become stale because they don't become overplayed. No, I agree 100%. I, we've talked a lot about on this show when talking about other series about like how grateful we are that they stopped after this amount of episodes or how oh it was good that they kept going or we wish they could they could have gone more and i think that it's such a key like this because it's such a limited thing and because as hilarious as it is and as spot on as the parody in this is there's no real heart it's not like with the office where you've got a really true to life mockumentary but also you feel real feelings because these are very real people you can't really go deeper with any of the characters it's just it is what it is and it's never going to like evolve into anything more than that but for what it is it's so perfect and in those six episodes it's like just enough it's like it's like when you get a meal and it's the exact right amount of food and you don't you're not hungry for anything more but you're so satisfied at the end Mm. Oh, yeah. And also, I think that it it really, it makes sense since it is a show within the show. 
it wouldn't be believable that Channel 4 would allow them to broadcast more than six because they are objectively horrible. Mm -hmm. And it, it adds to the whole, like, long-lost secret gem that's long forgotten. It just, it makes, it would be terrible if this show had gone on for 12 seasons because it would strain credulity in the same way that I think the American office does because who's going to allow their office to be filmed for, like, nine years or however long it was? Yeah. That's just not realistic. There are also um, great little reveals in the show as um, the episodes go on. Like, to jump ahead for a second, they've got a hospital set and, you know, sets of different people's offices and, like, a rooftop and, you know, outside <laughs> of the hospital. And then randomly in the penultimate episode, <laughs> Richard Iowati says that they'd been filming the whole series in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you go like, wait, what? <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but it was great. And so then, you know, yeah. you, you just kind of have to accept it for another episode and a half. There's no point in going, but how the hell do they do it? It's just a perfect little throwaway line that they've been filming the whole thing in, in his garage. But yeah, for how much longer are you going to be able to get away with something like that? Not much longer than an episode and a half. No, exactly. I mean, yeah. the comedy in this is always so spot on that like you said you don't you don't care about logic there's actually a quote that dean says in one of the little behind the scenes interviews it's the episode where the one woman who works in the hospital liz asher played by madeline wool played by in real life alice lowe Mm -hmm. is so angry because she's on her period so she develops telekinetic powers like you do like I wish we could fucking do. <laughs> um, and so Dean says, any glide viewer might be able to see the wires. A pedant might be able to see the wires. But if you're looking at the wires, you're ignoring the story. And even though he's obviously just trying to justify very low quality, low budget special effects that are, you know, laughably bad, a la Plan 9 from Outer Space, I think that he's actually right. And this is how I feel about so much of fiction or comedy. I think that nowadays people like to be cool and ironic and super critical of things and be like, oh, well, I could do that. Oh, I could see why that's not real oh i like to register a complaint on the internet blah, blah blah but like i think it's so much more fun if you can get swept up in the the wonder of it all and suspend disbelief and and like even while we're laughing at this terrible show within a show it's still fun to just suspend that disbelief. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. But I think that the way that all of the former cast members talk about the show during the mockumentary moments is so sweet. None of them really have a single negative thing to say about the show. Everyone praises Garth's writing, which is horrible and purposely horrible. And um, everyone praises all of, you know, the acting, which is all um, very, very bad. Now, to talk Mm -hmm. about the pilot a little bit, Mm -hmm. I was just so delighted by it when I watched it because every episode is framed with this opening of Garth Marenghi reading one of his own terrible horror novels um, that sometimes are described as balls to the wall horror. And he's like sitting at a desk and it's poorly lit. And then, you know, he, he looks at the camera and it always has him walking down a set of stairs and he's very serious. And um, he's kind of a gatekeeping asshole nerd who probably like is Mm -hmm. a complete misogynist itself. But the joke's on him. They do a good job of of making that very, very clear. And so Mm -hmm. he brings you up to speed about the show being buried because it was just, you know, too ahead of its time. They were afraid. And so, yeah, every single episode begins with him reading a different book. And then he gives like a little bit of an intro about what the theme of the episode is going to be. And the pilot is great. You meet Liz. You meet everybody. I think one of the best sort of meta 
weird things about the show. It's the Richard Iowati character who was Garth's publisher, mm-hmm. who then becomes a producer on the show, who then needs to act in the show. And so before you actually see him as an actor, he's telling everybody in the documentary that he had never acted in his <laughs> life and that it's like cut to yeah. the worst acting on the show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's such a great setup the way that they do that. And the bad acting is really, really well done. Everybody's looking at different cameras. You know, there'll be a pause mm-hmm. and then a physical action and then the resuming of the talking. Everybody's just kind of clearly waiting for their cues if you watch their faces. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Also, in especially in the first episode, but maybe in the whole thing, it sounds like Matt Berry as actor Todd Rivers as Dr. Lucian Sanchez. It sounds like all of his dialogue is dubbed. Yes. Is it? I think a fair amount of it is. Okay, yeah. yeah like bad ADR. It's like just subtle enough. Certainly in the first episode. Because he's very loud. He's got that really forceful, booming baritone voice. And then his face is like barely moving. And it's not its not done in such an like over-the-top way like a Godzilla movie where it's very obvious. It's just like, this is believably like, oh, the sound quality was bad on that day. So they had to re-record it. I, I, need, to, I need to gush about Matt Berry for a second, girl. Okay. Ooh. I expected this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I know you, Stephanie. Girl, I know you. <laughs> no, like, first of all, he has a perfect body. IMO. I am loving a thick-ass man with big old shoulders. I'm like, yes, he's, like, just soft enough in the mid-second that I could be like, you want to fuck up some nachos, honey? And he'd be like, yes. Like, that's, I'm so into that. But he's so funny with, with that voice. He has the voice of a god. Oh, yeah. And he knows exactly how to keep everything he says surprising. His, the things that he chooses to like really enunciate and shout, like you, you never know where his sentence is going. It's fantastic what he's able to do. And I will find you some sort of prime example of that and we will insert it here. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I feel like he like hasn't really aged. Have you seen what we do in the shadows yet? No. Oh, it's fucking perfect. And he's fucking perfect in it. You're going to love it. Mm. That goes for you listeners as well. It's not British, but it's damn close in terms of quality. Well, I watched all of Toast of London, and he yeah. is the the shining star of that for sure. Oh, yeah, but, for sure. But, oh, Dr. Lucian Sanchez, man. Mm. No, I mean, he's definitely, I, I kind of like with Terry Jones, I see what you see, and it's not my main thing, but, like, I, I get it. I get it. Do you? I My, my crush is, is Richard Iowata. Yes! Even though... I mean, did you also predict that? I did. He's so fucking hot. <laughs> Even with that terrible mustache. I mean, I, I first saw him when I first saw the IT crowd, and I was like, oh my god adorable nerd like i i prefer how he looks in that but even this he's just got a fantastic face yeah and i like him skinny you know that no completely Mm. we're gonna have fun with the shag mary kill on this one (laughs) Mm. and i think i know who our kill is for both of us oh well yeah i mean come on yeah come on yeah Yeah. anyway just had to just had to say that real oh yeah real but so there's such great attention to detail in terms of making this terrible like you said the actors are looking at the camera there are awkward pauses or cuts where it's like just the same shot of the same actor but they forgot a line and then it jumps like a couple inches um i love the opening the fake opening credits where it's you know written and directed by garth Marenghi and starring all these people and then it says music by so and so based on melodies originally whistled 
sold by Garth Marenghi. That's my favorite fake credit I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. That's so good. Because, I mean, tell me if you thought of this and maybe your answer will be no, duh, Steph. But did you think of Tommy Wiseau? Oh, oh, no, 100%. I knew that that was coming. Yeah, it's that arrogance of thinking that you can do everything. It's the actor, writer, producer. Well, I mean, in every every episode, you know, there's the intro. I'm Garth Marenghi, author. Dreamweaver, visionary, plus actor. It's, like I said, it's that complete overconfidence. It's a little bit different because Tommy Wiseau is like a weirdo in a different way, in like a more freakish, like Michael Jackson kind of way. There is Whereas Garth Marenghi is more like the overly confident, toxically masculine alpha nerd. And he's playing the exact same character as he played in The Office as as the tech guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's just... that's what I meant by, like, the gatekeeper-y, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, if you no, met completely. Garth Marenghi, are you saying Marenghi or Marenghi? I always forget. It's Marenghi. Marenghi, okay. If you were to meet a Garth Marenghi in real life and tell him, oh, I love Stephen King, you would probably then immediately be quizzed for many, many minutes on your, on your knowledge of, of horror writing. Oh, no, completely. But I also, because um, d- didn't, didn't The Room come out circa 2004? Or was it earlier? Yeah, 2003. Yeah, okay. Because um, yeah. I thought it was hilarious how there were also scenes at the end of most of the episodes where Garth would be up on a roof by himself. Because <laughs> I, I, You're right, yeah, I didn't I, even think I, about it. I thought about that with The Room. <laughs> and just how there's like completely. one blonde woman one woman yeah i mean yeah. i mean that could be and they have no idea anything, how to write for her yeah i mean at least yeah. they lampoon it in the show how do you feel about that i was gonna bring this up because i think that for the first like i think is it three or four episodes i was so on board with their treatment of madeline slash liz because it's completely accurate that this type of man this toxic masculine nerd not only doesn't know how to write for women but totally doesn't care and has all of these sexist things like for example anytime somebody says anything remotely mean to or about liz it'll cut to her face and she's got mascara streaking all down her (laughs) face it's like she's instantly cried in like one second that's a skill man that's like some superman level tears just just things like that and she's you know at the butt of all of the jokes and she's you know constantly talked down to and dismissed and I thought that that was really clever in a way that actually was like commentary on it. And then also I noticed that, you know, we have Todd Rivers and Dean Lerner and Garth Marenghi doing these commentaries. And I was like, of course, they didn't even bother to ask the woman. That is so great because then it doesn't put the actual male writers in the position of having to write for this woman that would honestly take you out of it and destroy the fun because if she was honest about what her experience was like and that it would just it would be upsetting but then they reveal that she is missing and presumed dead yep. and that was when i thought okay you guys have let me down it would have been so much more funny if they just never addressed it or if she had refused if she like declined to be part of it because she's embarrassed or she's moved on with her life but the fact that they killed off the one female character so that she can never actually speak for herself did not love that. I I'll noticed say that that's the one thing that really irked me. I noticed the same exact thing. Yeah. I mean, especially since you know when you have straight cis males parodying straight cis males, and because it's a parody and it's parodying real life, they can get away with like, oh, but we're only going to have one woman because that's how it is in real life when you have these assholes in charge of things, and it's already sort of built in having your cake and eating it too. You don't have to actually 
include more women because you're parodying real life and real life is effed up with mm-hmm. these power dynamics, etc. Sure. But I liked the way they were handling it. Like one of the funniest things in the pilot is when Liz shows up to apply for the doctor's job. You know, it's very mm-hmm. clunky and clumsy. And then Dr. Lucian Sanchez comes in and the first thing he says to her is, you're a woman. And she says, yes, I hope that's not a problem. Like, it's very funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's very, very funny. And, you know, I also like the crying. And at one point after she fixes her makeup, her inner monologue is something like, God, I love makeup. Makeup really is a godsend. Now that my cheeks are freshly rouged, I feel like a real human woman again. Like I can face the world. A lot of the stuff that they give her to do is really, really funny. Oh, I agree. But then, yeah, to leave her out of the commentary, I'm with you. It would have been funnier if they just kind of had a throwaway line. Oh, we couldn't get a hold of her. And then, you know, yeah. con- continue Or like, on. oh, we should have asked her to do this. Exactly. Like anything that would just yeah. implies that it's the character's lack of yeah. giving a shit or, or yeah, foresight. Killing her, I was like, yeah, okay, sure. That's, that's always easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you have an episode that sticks out to you as exceptionally good or bad or? I did love um, Skipper the Eye Child. Me too! And I also really loved the last one. Me too. Okay, but but honestly, there aren't any episodes of this that I didn't like. But let's, do you want to talk about Skipper the Eye Child? I would love to talk about Skipper the Eye Child because I also thought that that was um, one of the funniest Garth Marenghi monologues in the beginning, mm-hmm. talking about his, his oh, balls. Yeah. Because, you know, it's always great to have a British beta male with weird balls, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was told when I was 16 that my balls didn't work. They dropped, but they kept on going. And it was a question of either having them removed or going around with really long balls, like a couple of marbles and a hiking sock. I chose the latter option, and fortune favoured me, because the day I hit 30, they winched right back up. Point is... I thought of myself as a freak, an other. For years, I wondered what exactly my ghoulies would sire. Would it be human? Thankfully, when I impregnated my wife Pam, she dutifully gave birth to twins. A huge relief. Though for years, I couldn't shake off the fear that one of them might eat the other. Luckily, they didn't, which I put down to good parenting. Tonight's teleplay is about others, or mutants. It's also about my own desire for a son, which I'll probably never have now because my wife's too old. So yeah, he's he's married and he has daughters and he's very, very upset about it. <laughs> yes, he says that this whole episode is about my own desire to have a son. I have four daughters and whilst I don't blame them as such, I don't really feel they're on my side. Which yes. is such a great line. Because <laughs> like, it definitely shows his misogyny, but not in such a way that's like, you're probably a monster of a father. I think he's probably just, he doesn't know how to relate to them. And truthfully, like, I wouldn't be on that guy's side because he clearly wouldn't be on mine. So I think that might be kind of fair for him to say, even though he started it. Yeah. So yeah, in this episode, like, we see... <laughs> I don't even... <laughs> I don't even I wrote... really know how to describe it. <laughs> Giant eye monster with a huge cock raping a human man. Yes. Not the image I was expecting. In the the, the hospital bed. And then I think it's Lucian who says, look at that poor man. Not only has he just been screwed by a giant eye, but now he's giving birth. (laughs) 
and then yeah, so the good. the man gives like what appears to be like vaginal birth to a miniature eye child, which uh, Garth then takes in as his own son. Yes, because it is revealed as a bit of backstory that he had his own son, also named Skipper who was a half-human, half-grasshopper, even though his wife was also human, and who died. <laughs> yes. The line uh, is so throwy. It's like, he was half-boy, half-grasshopper. He never had a chance. <laughs> it's so good. But uh, he didn't die of natural causes of being half-human, half-grasshopper. He jumped too high one day and was shredded up by uh, helicopter blades. Yeah. Um, yes. So violent. There's some very, uh, you know, some stuff that might not necessarily fly today in terms of the mockumentary commentary. They say uh, the actor who played that role was not happy about it, the, the man who gave birth to the eye child. Uh, the guy who was behind him in the eye, he was a man who he knew and until that day trusted. And I just wrote, last tango in Paris? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, that is that is gross because that is kind of essentially a a rape joke. Um, but yep, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it is it is still very funny. Just like that actor was not happy. Like, I wonder what they told him was gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then also, Dean says, "I think it's very sad that we've had to pixelate out an erection. We've all got them." And again, it's just such a perfectly male point of view. Like every single person mm-hmm. has a penis that could be erect at any given moment. Yeah, I could have one right now. I don't have one right now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have one right now. No, it's so good. And just the hilarious like sci-fi explanations and exposition in this. It's so well done. It's always done in a different, surprising, bad way. Whether it's in the pilot where you hear a lot of expository inner monologue via voiceover from Garth Marenghi's character, Dr. Rick Daglas, MD. Uh, Dag. You know, he's saying, like, that's my buddy, Dr. Sanchez, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's so-and-so. Like, just just giving you all of the explanation that you should be able to glean from, like, better dialogue if it were written. Yes. And then there's a great moment in another episode where they explain everything after the fact, and it doesn't even show any of the actors. It just has, like, shots of cutting from the, the houseplant in Thornton's office and then the wall. And it's just, like, a very fast little bit of voiceover that, like, oh, we figured out the explanation for this later. That was great. That was super weird. Oh, I know. It was great. Or just really ridiculous things, like, explaining how this giant eye monster with a, like, three-foot erection came to be. Where it's, he's explaining it was this guy who was getting treatments for something. And then the eyeball of a sex offender god in the reactor chamber with him yes that's, <laughs> that's like one that, of my favorite sentences that's what it was show. and i also love how they'll casually say things like i'm going to analyze the test results and there's been really kind of no test but suddenly yeah. liz is like at a computer and she just dials something up oh yeah it's also great because like in the pilot liz shows up and she's hearing people's thoughts like they discover that she's a bit psychic and that she can yes. predict things that either have happened to patients, are currently happening to patients, or might happen mm-hmm. to patients in the future, which is, <laughs> oh, how, how psychic. But then Garth admits, like, oh, I once opened the gates of hell in Dark Place Hospital with my friend Larry, and we thought we had closed them mm-hmm. up, but maybe we didn't. And only from, mm-hmm. from that day forward do these supernatural things start happening in the hospital, which everyone just immediately accepts. Because Mm -hmm. it's then relentless from then on. You know, every single episode, there's a strange supernatural thing that happens. But Thornton Reed will say things like, you know, everything's been crazy here ever since you opened up the gates of hell last week. And it just hasn't stopped. (laughs) 
<laughs> which I just love that, like, inciting incident and nothing's ever the same. Yep, for sure. No, completely. And everybody yes-ands it immediately. Going back to the pilot for a second and also going back to comparing Garth Marenghi to Tommy Wiseau, there's this one line where Daglas just says, I need to grab a shower. And he says it for absolutely no reason. And then it cuts to him wearing a very short robe, walking around the hospital <laughs> with his coworkers. And I was like, this is so accurate because... Those arrogant, weird fucking men who think that they're amazing at everything also have this weird need to be seen naked or nearly naked. What the fuck is that? Yep. Like, yep. Tommy, we've all seen that horrific ass making love to that poor woman's belly button in those, like, five sex scenes in the damn movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just thought that that was real. That was, like, a really funny little, like, character bit, not for the doctor, obviously, but for Garth Marenghi, that was, like, that's really well-observed, like shitty macho behavior (laughs) yeah 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 another thing we both talked about how we liked the very last episode is it okay if i referred Mm -hmm. to it very quickly right right here by all means i know we talked about how like it's great that there's only six episodes of this so it could never be you know overdone but i do feel like they hit on something in episode six that i kind of thought ooh, maybe one or two more like like those that'd be great because they finally let matt berry sing oh my god (laughs) but in the episode what's happening is (laughs) a beautiful woman is wheeled into the hospital and she is situated next to an air vent by um, a, a in a cameo appearance by Graham Linehan. <laughs> he leaves a patient near an air vent, and then all this green smoke comes in through the vent, which turns this woman into broccoli. She is slowly <laughs> turning into broccoli, and she is going to die. But not before Matt Berry gets to shag her in the hospital bed. But Lucian and Liz have had this kind of... Not even sexual tension, but like a flirtation. Mm -hmm. Like you can see it in every episode. It's a really bad attempt at a will they, won't they, but it's obviously bad on purpose where Lucian will just kind of flirt with her and Liz will ignore him. So they're all driving in a car together and Lucian has this daydream about a fantastic music video where he breaks into song about Liz and you see him drinking in a bar and you see him waking up in bed and you see him putting on a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought you would enjoy that. I enjoyed it too on a more ironic level. But yeah, no, that music number, it's deliciously 80s. Why won't she be mine? I wish I was more attractive like Douglas. Still, one can only dream. I'm a one-track lover Down a two-way lane Driving fast down the highway Must have been insane Cause the temperature's too high Traveling way too fast And I knew our loving Was too hot to last Cold to the touch and it isn't very nice when you're left alone. You let you treat you bad, leaves you hang on the phone. Take off, shove your loving on the wheel, put the pedal to the floor because you're heading for the hills. Got to get away, can't take it no more. Man, you don't need this, leave her at the door. The door, the door, the door. Sanch, open the door. I love that episode when the woman is slowly turning into broccoli. And then I always think that it's a very tricky thing to make an AIDS joke. They did it well in this, I think. I think the key is like they weren't actually making fun of AIDS. 
but when they said this was obviously a metaphor for AIDS, (laughs) it's like, uh uh-huh, yeah. Sexually transmitted broccoli disease is obviously a very uh, profoundly uh, fantastic metaphor for something as world-changing as AIDS. Oh my god, no, that that line, yeah, the cosmic spores, of course, represented AIDS. It definitely made me guffaw out loud. Because again, uh, AIDS victims were not the butt of the joke. It's that it's that self-important writer who thinks that, and also, you know, obviously very timely because this is the 80s. It's like he thinks that he's the only one with the guts to go there. Oh god, oh, I also, in addition to thinking of Tommy Wiseau, I also thought of, um, I thought of M. Night Shyamalan, (laughs) because there's that one, wait, there's that one part in the middle of Skipper the Eye Child where Rick Daglas has decided to hide this eye child because he doesn't want his co-workers to find it and dissect it and kill it. And so he remembers that Liz can read minds, so he tries to distract himself by reading a book, and he picks up one of Garth Marenghi's books. He's like, oh. Here, have a thumb of this book. It looks like a tawdry horror paperback, but it might just take your mind off things. Romford is the cruelest of cities. Nice start. Beneath its skyline's tattered shards lay a million broken dreams. This is good. I've misjudged the genre like so many. That morning it had rained, but it cleared up again in the afternoon. This great city was home to Trent Stockton, and when he saw injustice, anger rose up in him like a bad sandwich. What are you reading? Oh, uh, nothing, just some horror novel by this guy, Gareth Morungi. Gareth Morungi? He's my favorite. I've read everything he's done. It's just shameless plugging and self-promotion. And did you ever see the movie Lady in the Water? No. Okay, well, so M. Night Shyamalan will have these little cameos in his movies, and, like, it's fine when it's just a little thing that doesn't really have any bearing on the plot. It's just like, oh, fun little Easter egg for people who know who he is. But he played a, an important role in Lady in the Water. I only saw it once in theaters, but my memory is that the titular lady in the water was like maybe some kind of alien or like weird supernatural being who was sent to deliver a message. And the message was that the character being played by M. Night Shyamalan was going to write a book that would save the world. What? (laughs) Like, it's so Garth Marenghi, right? It's like that he would cast himself as a writer who saves the world. Wait, but why would the lady in the water even need to tell anybody that the world was going to be saved? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I know you don't know. I saw this once. Just vocalizing this for, um, wow, man. No, I know, but it's it's just such an accurate thing. Like, Garth Marenghi's character is just so well-written in both the introductions and the interview portions and in just the way that he writes for his own character in the show within the show he's like a really perfectly realistic person (laughs) oh yeah the sixth episode is called the creeping moss from the shores of shagoth (laughs) that's the broccoli disease which i forgot is sexually transmitted so they do have to attempt to cut dr lucian sanchez's penis off after he has sex with a woman but Mm -hmm. garth refers to the episode as my romeo and juliet but less whining (laughs) oh god and he's reading a love scene from one of his novels at the beginning of of Ah! this episode let's let's play that clip oh yeah (laughs) He whisked off her shoes and panties in one movement, wild like an enraged shark, his bulky totem beating a seductive rhythm. Mary's body felt like it was burning, even though the room was properly air-conditioned. They tried all the positions, on top, doggy and normal. Exhausted, they collapsed onto the recently extended sofa bed. 
then a hell beast ate them. On top, <laughs> on doggy, doggy and, and normal. normal. <laughs> I wrote that down. Too. Which, dude, can we be real about every that? porno? Every porno. Well. Well, yeah, but don't you also kind of feel like the fancier positions are just improvements upon the primary positions? Sure. Like, you know, you can mix red and yellow and make it orange, but it's still red and yellow. So you can you can bend a leg this way and bend an arm this way, but it's you're still essentially in doggy style. You're just sort of. Are we? (laughs) 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 Yo, I mean, you're not wrong, but I feel like he's still missing some pretty big other things that aren't that don't fall into any of those categories. Well, yeah, I mean, for his sex scene to literally just be a description of three different positions that the couple making love uses, no, that's hardly displaying any real knowledge of the sexual act. So funny. (laughs) I do love and normal, anyhow. Oh, no, it was great. And I also love when Dean and Garth are both talking about erotica and how there's no more sensuality anymore. Everything's just like, we'll play that clip. As a horror writer, there are certain words you don't use when you're writing a sex scene. Balls, knickers, scrub. It's not clever. It's not sexy. It's bad writing. I read modern writers and it's screw this, he mm. licked her, she sucked that, he bit modern. the other, you know, someone put it there and he held it. It was at this frequency. I mean, where's the sensuality? Exactly. Where you know, where is um, where's he glided in liquid smooth? Where's her wispy mound? Where's her sacred V? Honeyed lining. Her mossy cleft. Another great thing that they sort of leave till the last minute. It's later in the series where they start talking in the documentary section about what big partiers they used to be when they were <laughs> filming all this yes. because they were supposed to be in their twenties or something, and. Mm. Um, <laughs> It's Dean talking about his friendship with... What's Matt Berry's character who plays Lucian Sanchez? I forgot the actor's name. Todd Rivers. Todd Rivers. Yeah, Dean Lerner and Todd Rivers are talking about their friendship. And he's like, I'll just put it this way. I've watched him make a lot of love or something. I've stood in his front room and watched him make a lot of love. Watched him make a lot of love. And you just go... Wait, where did where did this all come from? But then they don't <laughs> dwell on it and they don't really show you a lot of proof of it or anything, but I love that. Oh, Just the pity. subtle subtle revelation that this was also completely debauched. It's <laughs> like, okay, yeah. that's great. Can we talk about the apes of wrath? Would you kill me if I got ice for my coffee and came right back? I would kill you with my mind because I'm a premenstrual raging female. No, please go get some ice for your well, coffee. This is this is me um, turning off my radiator equivalent. This is my Southern okay. California, but I need ice in my coffee. So the apes of wrath, it's painfully telegraphed from the very beginning they, they really beat you over the head with it that the water in the hospital, which, by the way, is bright green, is turning people into apes, making yes. them regress evolutionarily. Um, it's so funny. It's also got one of my favorite, you know, epiphany montages that I've ever seen, where at the end, it just shows a lot of people drinking water and all of the, like, echoing dialogue in his head. And then he says, wait, I never got that glass of water. Wait, it is the water. Yeah, because in the first scene, does Rick take a drink of water? And then when Lucian goes to do it, it is now green. So it's, like, very clear that Rick didn't drink the water and Lucian did. There's something like that. Well, what he says is he says, I don't even have time to drink this glass of water. Like he was about to drink it and then he Mm. sets it down. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Oh, yeah. He keeps narrowly missing drinking the water 
over and over. Oh, God. But his justification of the water and all this crazy stuff happening and people turning into apes. There's a great cutaway of Dean. He says we were young. We were physically fit. And we were challenging logic. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, no, I, I want to know no, what you were so going to say. Oh, I was just going to say. And then later on, Dean takes a little sip and nothing happens to him. And they said, oh, thank God, I only took a little sip. And then it cuts to the interview and he says, see, we, we said because it, you only take a little sip, then you're okay. If I had had the whole thing, then I would have turned into an ape. And then it cuts to Gar saying, I know writers who use subtext and they're all cowards. And that's one of my favorite yes. lines of the whole yes. mockumentary portion of this series. It's so excellent. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what? This just kind of popped into my head is like, was there a film department in, at Bennington? Technically. Okay. Yeah. Did you ever interact with anybody, uh studying film sure yeah i mean there's just something specifically hilarious about 20 to 22 year old uh men who have studied film and who now know things about film that no one else knows about film and um there were plenty of moments during uh the documentary commentaries where i did think of uh my BFF, but like back when he was 21 and 22 <laughs> and like, you know, would talk to me about script ideas he was writing for short films and how uh, he wanted to film something where a conversation between two male friends takes place in a diner and then they go back to one of their apartments and one just like brutally shoots the other one to death. And then I said, well, why does that happen? And he was like, does there need to be a reason? And I was like, oh, uh, pre- maybe, maybe preferably, man. Why? Why does there always have to be a reason? Things happen in life for no reason. And I just thought, yeah, because that's what everybody's takeaway is going to be is, oh, this short film was so great. It just challenged like my life. logic. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Oh, by the way, speaking of people having conversations and then brutally shooting other people, I did watch Pulp Fiction like less than a week after you shamed me for not having seen it. So your move, Callus. Okay. And I loved it. It was really good. Two things. One, I did not shame you. I went. You <gasps> said, wow. Well, that's, it was that's a little, that's a little wow shamey. At the audacity of giving me shit for Toy Story 3 more than once and on the internet with your friend AJ. <laughs> He's your friend too. Friends don't let friends not see Toy Story 3. We we intervene because we care. But I truly was and I mean, you know, the the path to hell is paved with good intentions and I am I am building mine on the daily. But I was going (laughs) to surprise you because I did think that you're watching Pulp Fiction because I said to watch it is like, whoa, she did that. That's great. And then I do remember that I told you to see Bohemian Rhapsody and you did. And so I owe you, man. And I thought, what if I sign on tomorrow morning? The first thing I say is I watch Toy Story 3. But then I had to watch The Lion in Winter because I'm recording a separate podcast about that tonight. Um, so I'm oh, sorry, oh, but cool. I will. No, that's be... totally fine. What, what podcast are you recording for that? Oh, Dan's going to start a podcast. And I said, bitch, oh, I'm the first so one on it. And he said, yeah. That's wonderful. Oh, have, so, have the best yeah, time. Yeah, I have no information on it other than that. Oh, but I was just going to say, you don't you don't owe me anything. Because here's the thing. As much as I love Toy Story 3, it's not a movie that I, like, need other people to validate my obsession. Stephanie, I'm just going to tell our listeners what a good friend this girl is. She watched the entire high school musical trilogy in one sitting with me because she knew that I was obsessed. And she admits that it's a very, very fun trilogy. And the third one is a good movie. And also, when I was going through my One Direction phase a couple years ago, she not only watched all of the music videos that I sent her, 
but she also watched the adorable documentary with me when I came home around Christmas time. And so, yeah, this this is a good friend. I give her shit for the TS3 thing, but honestly, you're off the hook. You owe me nothing. Okay. You owe me nothing, Stephanie. Okay. All right. Well, you did make a good point of it being my move. That's true. It can it can be my move. Okay, cool, cool. So yes, speaking of people shooting each other for no reason after talking, you saw Pulp Fiction. Right before that, I think we were talking about Apes of Wrath, right? We're oh, talking yes, about yes. Apes of Wrath. We were young, we were physically fit, and we were challenging logic. Yeah. There's a great moment in that early on where um Dr. Lucian has drunk the bright green water and then has like this ridiculous like Planet of the Apes makeup on. A lot of great scenes take place in Thornton Reed's office mm-hmm. where, you know, Thornton Reed gets very, very upset and wh- whatever weird supernatural mysterious thing is happening needs to be solved now when he often bangs his fist on a table and everybody's got to bring each other up to speed. Mm-hmm. And so he says to Liz, he says, Liz, fill us boys in if you'll pardon the expression. And it's like, how is that an expression that needs to be pardoned? But it's also great because he says that moments after saying, come on, you two queers. (laughs) It's like they'll they'll be kind of deferential or sensitive to Liz, but it's already after the damage has been done. I, I, oh, no, they, they do that a couple times. It's really good. Yeah, I think it's also funny that Liz can't talk in her monkey state and she crouches. But meanwhile, Sanchez can still talk and walk upright. Mm-hmm. It's just a little interesting, like, sexual double standard. But I um, loved the Liz crouch. I thought it was really, really funny physical comedy that she actually oh, no, was it, able it, to become very ape-like and very funny. It really was. And then also the, like, special effect, which is just them showing her face, and then it dissolves to a picture of her face halfway morphed, and then it's another dissolved to another picture of her face completely in it. That is such a... Like, that took me right back to, like, a very visceral memory of watching things from that time. I think what I'm probably thinking of is, did you ever see the Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass TV movies of the 80s? Probably. Oh but, man, um, they're so good. Carol Channing is the White Queen. That's what I remember the most. There's like, but there's a lot of like transformations where it just like shows a picture of the thing, and then it just shows a picture of the next thing that it becomes. Mm-hmm. It's very charming. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely watch that. It's I'll add it to your list. It's not urgent. okay. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, the whole like young, arrogant sort of student mentality, but like student who, you know, doesn't think that they have anything to learn. That's just so who Garth Marenghi is. And it's so funny when he says, I'm one of the few people you'll meet who've written more books than they've read. Like that's, that's completely, and apparently like in this fictional universe, he's written like 400 something books. Yes. <laughs> it's just, it's spectacular. And then also just, you know, the mansplaining and the showing off and the being so pedantic and saying things like i saw an ape micturating which means urinating on my erstwhile which means former buddy (laughs) like yes and also there's the fact that whenever he has some sort of famous quote from literature he'll always make sure to attribute it which sounds at first like sort of obnoxious in that same vein of like oh i know what this common phrase is from but actually if you think about it it's kind of polite and respectful and Mm -hmm. something that like he as a writer would afford that courtesy to other writers like you know water water everywhere but not a drop to drink coleridge samuel t i thought that that was really funny kind of charming in a way (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. On the mansplaining and on the self-importance, it's clear that Garth is the most guilty of that, but there's a great line in this where Todd Rivers, during the cutaway, is talking about how he was worried before re-watching this episode that the monkey makeup would look bad and that it would not hold yes. up like it did in his memory. But then he mm-hmm. says, like, oh, I was wrong. It looks great. 
I know. It's very sweet. It, it, it's very <laughs> sweet, but it's also like it, it, he probably only thinks that because he's in it. And this is yeah. what he has done with his life. I, I don't know. The thing about believing so much in the quality of the work that you're doing is something that, you know, my, my whole family has worked in the entertainment industry. And sometimes it's just like a survival coping mechanism that like you have to sort of Stockholm syndrome yourself into believing that the project that you're working on is good. And also you mentioned Christopher Guest earlier because that's obviously, you know, such a great paragon in the field of mockumentary. And like the earnestness with which they all believe that Red, White, and Blaine is like a great show that's bound for Broadway. It does, like I, I mean, I said earlier that this show is like purely silly and it's not gonna go deep with any of the characters, but like if there is any heart to it, it is the fact that the other actors in the show do believe so much in Garth's genius. Kind of like how Gareth in The Office believes so much in David Brent's genius and leadership capabilities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of makes you like them. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Scotch Mist? Please. I... I liked it. I wondered if the idea of Scottish people being stupid and barbaric is not... Not horribly, not that it's completely inoffensive, but like, I'm just wondering if it's overplayed. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's overdone by English comedians because yeah. we did see it in, in Monty Python and it was hilarious. And I was kind of trying to think like for a show made in 2004 about the 80s. So I admit, you know, mm -hmm. I did not grow up in the UK, but I was kind of wondering like how popular and acceptable is it for... English comedians to make fun of places that were very much oppressed by the English and to still make jokes about it centuries later. But then the episode does have that parody thing going on. They're trying to make a statement about racism and bigotry. And there's a yeah. great line like, sometimes in order to call out bigotry, you have to become a bigot. Be, or be a bigger bigot. Yes, yes. Sometimes you have to be a bigot in order to bring down bigger bigots. Yes. I thought that it was a really funny bit of commentary. And I, I did wonder that same thing. Not being Scottish and not being super aware of all the details of history within the UK. I felt like it was sort of, so in the same way of like making fun of the French, it was like a safe way to explore prejudice in a way that was funny as opposed to like, like if it were about Jews or black people, like maybe that's still a very, very fresh wound. Again, I'm, I'm not Scottish, so I can't really. Right, uh, I mean, making fun of the French would be different because the French and the English are, are historical enemies. No, and, it's true. And it's in the end, thing. France is, <laughs> France they're not under British rule so I did kind of I did kind of think twice about that but that didn't bother me as much as when Rick describes like his one night in Glasgow and how there were people <laughs> vomiting in the streets and stuff and I, I did just kind of think like okay now we're just sort of making fun of a working class city and you know yeah it's it's not for me to be like oh excuse me uh I'm a quarter Scottish I am seriously offended by this but I guess I just yeah. kind of I just kind of wondered if you could get away with that now or if someone would finally step in and say, come on, guys, we can't keep making fun of, of the Scottish. I mean, here's the thing. Now, what with Twitter and everything, there would be people who would be very, very vocally upset about it. And there would be people who would be fine with it. And they would get into lots of arguments and never give up. <laughs> that's that's kind of the way of the world. Like We've talked about this so much in so many other episodes of this podcast about how it's a fine line to be walking to like make fun of the idea of prejudice or the idea of racism. And you have to really 
do it right. I don't know. I like you said because it has the protection of taking place in the past and like obviously Garth Marenghi is so xenophobic and bigoted and misogynistic and up his own ass like there's no way that you could argue that the writers of the show were intending for this to be hurtful it's just that yeah you never know who's going to be a casualty of your of your comedy right another thing that i loved actually this was a this was a bit of commentary not not about prejudice but dean has a line we found out that the mist was poisonous when two techies died yes now i don't like to see anyone die but if someone has to die, it might as well be a techie. Because another one comes along, it's the same belt, it's the same hammer in the tool belt, you can barely tell the difference. That was such a funny line to me, both as someone who went through a high school drama program where there's a very weird, you know, hierarchy with techies and actors, but it's also not just an entertainment, it's not just about the entertainment industry, but just capitalistic culture in general and Mm -hmm. how replaceable the workers are and how it's, that was really, really funny to me. Yeah, no, that was, that was really good. Yeah. And there are things in this episode that I like. Again, it's not that I was personally offended. I was just kind of having thoughts of like, now why is this allowed. Yeah. But I do think that it has one of my favorite episode intros because it's just a night at the hospital. Um, (laughs) And um, they start showing just kind of what everybody is up to in their different offices. And there's an incredible, um, like you're outside the door where Liz and Lucian are. And Liz is just blow drying her hair while Mm. Lucian is in the corner listening to something on his Walkman and just sort of grooving like by himself. And you can't hear what he's listening to. And, you know, Rick is low key playing the alto sax on the roof. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then a nurse and a patient are making out and the patient wants to go outside and the nurse is like, but don't you have to be in surgery in five minutes? In five minutes. Yeah, but then they go outside and they're killed by the Scottish mist. But I the loved Scottish like, mist. you know, it was the night of the Scotch mist and everyone was chilling. But that shot of Lucian oh, just yeah. dancing in the corner is one of my favorites. I also really loved, I think this might have been one of my favorite openings of the episode before the proper episode begins when it was just the passage of the book that he's reading. Nina's eyes popped out of what was left of her back. Why, oh why, had she opened that tomb? The sand turned red. This was because she was bleeding on it. Blood. Ruby red blood. Her blood. Blood. And piss and shit. This was the worst day of her life. He has an incredible line. He says, my books always say something, even if it's just something simple, like, don't genetically engineer crabs to be as big as men. (laughs) And then he shuts the cover of his book and there's like a bunch of giant crab men on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, it's consistently quite clever. This whole show just looked like so much fun to make, Mm -hmm. but not in a way that it's less fun to watch. I think that we've all seen shows where it's like, you guys are clearly having the time of your life, but I'm not amused. But this is like, I feel like I'm very much in on the joke and in on the fun. Oh, yeah. Do you want to do a shag, Mary kill? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. And are we doing a shag, Mary kill roommate? I mean, I was thinking we'd just do the three men. Okay. Because it's kind of a given that Liz is great. Yeah. Okay. Well, also, you know, Madeline's already missing and presumed dead anyway. So she's, we can't do anything with her. Oh yeah. Fuck that. Do you want to do our kill on the count of three? <laughs> One, One, two, two three. three. Garth. Garth. <laughs> yeah. That was, I mean, 
such a such a given. I would have been so shocked if either one of us chose him for any of the other things, but no, obviously. Okay, hold on. What? Who is worse? Garth Marenghi or Mark Corrigan? Oh, oh, obviously Garth, because Mark at least wants to be better even though he isn't. Yeah, that's what I think. Okay, cool. Just making sure. He's like a human. He thinks sexist thoughts, but he doesn't always say sexist things. It's like the difference between Gareth and Tim. Like, one is, like, a relatable human, and one is like, oh, you got you got something real fucked up going on in that brain, Garth slash Gareth. Mm. But we would both fuck yeah. Gareth. Oh, yeah, well, he's, he's cute, but... Okay, yeah, I'm gonna kill Garth, fuck Dean, and marry the sexy one that I always forget his name. Forget the Mary actor's Todd. name. Marry the husband that you But, I, but I, I always forget the actor's yeah. name. You know, I I was thinking that I would do the opposite, sort of like what you said about Blackadder, because you want that Blackadder dick more than once. Mm. I would marry Dean, and I would fuck Todd. But thinking about some of the things that he says in the interviews, being so casual about techies dying, or he just like says as a throwaway thing about how he once learned how to hypnotize women. There's just a little, some things that just make me go like, oh, oh, maybe you're not that great a person. Even though it's very sweet how much he believes in his client and everything, he just, I don't know, maybe, I think maybe because we don't really know anything about Todd's personality, it's easier to want to marry him. But but here's, here's a question that we've never actually discussed in doing Shag, Mary Kill. Can we only shag the person once, or can we go back for seconds? Exactly. It's like, are you having an affair with that person? I would have an affair with Dean. You'd have an affair with Dean. And you know, and Todd's already seen him making a lot of love, so why couldn't it be to his wife as well? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I was thinking that I chose to marry Todd over Dean because while they do talk about how they partied a lot together. Dean also kind of makes references to, like, that one scene that has the lost footage was all of his fault because of some sort of drunken altercation. And Mm -hmm. I kind of thought, okay, cool. So if there are actual substance abuse problems and anger issues there, then I am not going to to marry that that person. Yeah, then I think I think we're in agreement. We just uh, our ratio of lust is just, you know, a little bit imbalanced it's just opposite i would fuck dean before marrying todd and i would never ever cheat on todd i would have sex with that man every single night (laughs) well cool and while you're doing that with our shared husband i'm gonna be sneaking out and cuckolding him with dean that's we got a good we got a good system oh god i mean i would just like I would want to role play with him like we were in one of his music videos. I'd be sitting at the bar and then he could come in and just like sing off into the distance and I would come up to him and then maybe we'd dance a little bit. Mm. Maybe he's wearing a pink shirt. I'm so into it. Oh, fantastic. Definitely tweeting all of this at Matt Berry the second I hang up with you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Man, how confusing would it be if, like, the actual older men that we are often lusting after on this show ever really listened to any of this? Like, poor, sweet, confused Rowan Atkinson. Oh. At all. Like, <laughs> like all of these yeah. people. <laughs> well, they so should confused. know that we don't actually want to have sex with them because 
they're strangers and we don't actually know them. And also we don't want to pose any threat to their marriages, to the real women that they have committed to and are probably very much in love with. This is all just a silly schoolgirl fantasy. And also, at least in my case, uh, y'all are too old for me now. Sorry. You're getting just ripe enough for Stephanie. It's a it's a fun to say. It's a fun to say. I don't know. I don't have like a oh I'm gonna dress up as a schoolgirl and fuck a sixty five year old man thing. That's good. That, that, <laughs> I'm I mean, glad. I would, I would very much be wearing my normal clothes. <laughs> Probably not sixty five. Not sixty five. That's because yeah. that's my dad's age. But how old uh. is Rowan? I can't fuck Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> I know, I know, but you've you've talked a good game. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, guess look. you're all talk and no action stuff. Ro- Rowan Atkinson. Like Rowan Atkinson in Blackadder is is one thing, and then because no, I, I am it, I very attracted to him in that show, I'm able to look at him now and be like, oh, you're adorable. But yeah. you know, it's not like, oh yeah, you are looking better every day. It's time to infiltrate the bean. <laughs> oh no. my gosh. But like, I don't know. I don't know. 45? All right, man. I mean, that's, you. that's old, but it's like distinguished. Ugh, I hate the whole distinguished double standard. Like a man gets older and he's distinguished and a woman gets older and she's all dried out and used up and horrible and haggy and icky no 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 you know i don't think that i know that you don't think that but i'm saying society thinks that and they agree with you about the distinguished men and so that's sort of has made me like oh not all 45 year old men are distinguished not oh no clearly no many of them are are just toddlers with worse skin (laughs) yes you know what you know what's a better word established okay again ideally it's like i'm 45 I know how to fuck, and I'm wearing Prada shoes. Yeah. Buy you dinner, blow your mind. I'm picturing the the fact that you said I, I know how to fuck, and I'm wearing Prada shoes. I pictured a 45 year old man in only Prada shoes, which is not a sexy image. Oh, I would fall into the Prada gap. Oh man, I'm trying. I'm looking through my other notes of things. Another great moment in Hell Hath Fury, the telekinesis episode, is when the temp dies, and he dies like in the hallway of the hospital in Rick Daglas's arms and he's like don't you dare die and I'm like you're a doctor and you're in a hospital you should be helping him <laughs> even even if it's a long shot it's like you know something that I really hate in Meet the Parents I think that Greg Fokker is one of the least sympathetic protagonists ever sure. he's like a total dick he paints himself as a victim but he doesn't make any effort to like be nice to the family and he's just like a crabby little shit and then there's the part where he he accidentally hits the volleyball in the sister's face and her wedding is like the next day and she's got all this blood and everybody rushes over to her and he's just standing there awkward and he's a nurse he should be the first one over there because he actually knows what to fucking do to give her medical attention and instead because he feels so awkward he that's like the most dickish thing you can do even if you're not a nurse just to go over there and say hey are you okay but he has like training medical training and he's withholding it he's a dick i have never thought about that that's the first thing i always think about when i think about the movie i'm like you you're you're a terrible nurse, Greg. Wow. Anyway. <laughs> well, he was just such a loser in that fucking movie. I didn't understand. No, I know. And he was such a brat about the sex. Oh, yeah. And about saying bomb on a plane and being a, a horrible person to that poor flight attendant who's just trying to do her job. His bag can't fit. He's yeah. 
right? Like, he should have actually been arrested. I'm pissed off that his connections to the CIA dude got him out of being arrested. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nepotism. Blech. Anyway. Um. <laughs> oh, and the way that he treats that lovely, beautiful cat. Oh, I can't. I can't. He's a hateful monster. The way that he treats the cat. Yeah. Does he, well, does he, he let the like, cat out? He kicks it outside. He specifically like lets the cat out on purpose, and then he and then he like spray paints a different one, and he's just a I don't know. He's just an awful. Well, person. how do you think about Fleabag letting the cat outside? That's the one unforgivable thing that she does. We will talk about that in a later season. But yeah, I kind of <laughs> hate her in that moment for that one thing. Here, this is where I show my my double standard. You can eat a dog, and I will still yeah. love you. If you if you harm a cat, I'm coming for you, motherfucker. Okay. Don't. Okay. Don't mess with, well, especially like a beautiful long-haired Persian or Himalayan. I just, I can't. It's, it's too, it's too much. No. Anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to admit that about yourself. <laughs> we all, we all have I'm our things. Glad. Your thing is forty-five-year-old naked men in Prada shoes, and my thing is wanting to protect fluffy kitties. <laughs> mm. Mm. You know, I'd never actually thought about forty-five-year-old naked men in Prada shoes until you just put it that way, and now, and is, now. Uh, not that I, you know what? I wouldn't know a Prada shoe, though. Like, Dude, if my me life, neither. I don't. If my life depended on it, I would not know a Prada fucking shoe. Yeah, um, no. I, I guess know. my only point was like, I'm not wearing old ass crusty sneakers. I'm wearing a nice brown leather dress shoe with a dark okay. toe and laces. And I yeah. smell of cologne and there's a little bit of gray in my hair and. Would you want to split the sea bass? <laughs> <laughs> wow, we've gotten rather loopy and off topic, but I am not mad about it. <laughs> oh, another thing that I love is when they cut away from things in order to save money on effects. Like you see the kitchen instrument flying towards the chef, but you don't see him being impaled by it. It reminds me of something in the 80s. My dad worked on a television show called Nurse, and my mom still tells the story of this hilarious cut that they did to to get out of a very expensive effect, which was that someone was, like, driving her car off of a pier to commit suicide. And so you see the car on the pier, and then later on, then you, like, hear a splash, and it cuts to just her hat floating in the water. Oh, that's... Great. <laughs> that's yeah. fantastic. I mean, that's not unlike the Lawrence of Arabia motorcycle crash where you just see his goggles in the bush. But That um, seems more like an artistic choice because that movie wasn't hurting for a budget, I'm guessing. You're probably right about that. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> yeah, this is this is very much like 80s television shoestring budget tropes. And yeah. they do such a great job of exploring them all in so many different fun ways. Mm-hmm. And just like the, the trope of, of the dark, angsty hero. There was a quote in the pilot that was, uh, maybe if everyone you'd ever been close to had died, you'd be sarcastic too. That was fantastic. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was so good. That was a classic smash and grab. Good point. Something else that I forgot to mention was that Garth Marenghi, the character's name is actually an anagram of Arg Nightmare. Isn't Wait. that great? When does he say that? He didn't say that. I, I was doing some research on the internet, and I looked it up, and uh, it checks out, because the letters are all there. That Isn't is that fantastic. Cute? 
arg nightmare. Arg nightmare. A-R-G-H. It's great because that's what he writes and what he lives, and it's also what he is and doesn't know. It's like it it works on so many levels. I also love how he does not realize that "Welcome to my dark place" or no, "You are entering my dark place." My dark place is Sounds pornographic. Like an anus. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. No, it's so great. Dark and the title sequence too. Like we mentioned the the hilarity of like written by and directed by and starring and the melodies originally whistled, but also just the footage like him running away carrying a very obviously fake baby doll from an exploding ambulance. Yes, well, <laughs> fantastically 80s music is playing and like Dean shooting like a million different guns. Liz is wearing a fencing outfits yes. for no fucking reason in the hospital. And there's something very recognizable and true to life about the final cast member is and Dean Lerner as Thornton Reed, but only Thornton Reed is in quotes. Is in quotes, right? I was gonna, <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not like his nickname. It's not like as the beaver. Like, that's fair. The, that kid's given name is not the beaver, but like... Thornton Reed's probably named Thornton Reed. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. And then also, like, the freeze frames over the credits are so good. Like, that's another really 80s, 90s things. When did they stop doing that in television? Or do they still? Because I... It seems like the last time that I saw a show do that in earnest was, like, Degrassi. Okay, like I never f- watched Degrassi. I remember seeing it on things like Family Matters, like a TGIF lineup in the 90s. Yeah. Again, yeah, very nice. Or like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? That was another, That that's yes. very much in line with this. I, I would don't... just show you like some of the most horrifying I don't know when images. these trends oh, so end because people decide that they must end. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But it's just, it it really harkens back very accurately to the period that they are spoofing. It's really, it's really good. Also, there's this point in the beginning of episode two when he's reading the passage from his book and it says, he stared at his hands in horror. From them rose millions of tiny maggots. Maggots? Maggots. Maggots. <laughs> maggots. Maggots. And that made me laugh so hard because I'm going to tell a horrifying story. So as I mentioned, I was in Los Angeles last week. And before I left, I had a bit of a fruit fly problem in my kitchen. And I forgot to change out the traps before leaving. So I came home and the next day I like threw something into my trash out of the trash can, exploded a million fruit flies. And then also, if I looked under the lid, what did I see? Maggots. (laughs) Maggots. Maggots. It was fucking horrifying i grabbed a spray bottle i squished them all and put them in a separate trash bag and oh i was very brave but it was very upsetting wait you're supposed to there's a process for getting rid of fruit flies like you have traps oh yeah oh i'm gonna change your life and anyone listening who has a fruit fry problem uh yeah you can go on amazon and there are these little traps i think they're called tarot traps i forget what the brand is but i can send you a link they're like these little plastic things that are shaped like apples and then you squeeze like a sweet smelling non-toxic liquid into them and then they go in and they get trapped (gasps) and you're supposed to replace them every 30 days and i think that mine had like expired or filled up with dead fruit flies and i just forgot to in my in my haste to get out of town. Wait, so then you opened that up and it was full of maggots? No, 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 no. no, no. I just I opened up. They were living in my trash can and <gasps> just the traps. Like in the last couple of days, like it's it's they're all gone because I got rid of the ones that were in the trash can and because I set out new traps. But God, it was really like a horror movie. Be warned. Do you listeners. know how you know you've gone rotten, really <laughs> rotten. Fruit flies. Dirty little fruit flies that come to feast on what's left. Well, there isn't much left of me for you to feast on anymore. Now fly off. 
do what you like with your photographs and your stories. But promise me one thing, that I never see your face again. Pressure! Push it down on me! Push it down on you! I have no idea what you're referring to, but I'm quite, quite entertained. <laughs> that is an honest-to-goodness monologue from Bohemian Rhapsody that Rami Malek delivers while standing in the rain before then nonsensically walking out into the dark streets of Munich after dumping Branson from Downton Abbey. Wow, all right. <laughs> See, the the song was a clue, but up until that point, I had no idea. I thought it could be it could be anything. I was oh, thinking maybe God. like John Waters or something, except for not the British actor. Literally, but... right? You could see Divine yeah. doing it at the top of the no, stairs. No, 100%. <laughs> I know. Oh, oh, my God. Guys, Bohemian Rhapsody was my favorite garbage fire movie the last couple of years. And my, oh, yeah. my inner film enthusiast was horrified that it appeared anywhere near the Oscars. And my inner anarchist was like, yes, let's burn this fucker down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, sorry if that's distracted oh, us from the topic at hand. I just can't hear the words fruit flies without fucking going into that shit. No, that's really, that's really great. Um, another thing that I loved is the slow motion and how they set it up kind of like with, uh, I'd never acted before. And so we get that intro and then we see the payoff of him being really bad at acting is the episodes were running up to eight minutes under. The only way to stretch them out was with slow motion. And we tried to keep it away from the dialogue as much as possible, but anything without dialogue was fair game. And then you just see all this unnecessary slow motion fighting. And it's so, it's so good. They just keep coming up with new and surprising ways to be believably terrible but heightening it just just past the point where you i don't think anybody would ever watch this show and think that it was real unlike the office but it's really it's really fun there's a fantastic garth line that i wrote down it's during the commentary where he's talking about the final episode todd is actually kind of given a lot to do Mm -hmm. in the final episode we've already mentioned that lucian has his song that he gets to sing and um, he's (laughs) fallen in love with the patient of the week so to speak and garth says Todd's wonderful in this episode, and there are scenes with him and me, or I think you're watching him as much as me. <laughs> it's very love magnanimous, that. Garth. Wow. Uh-huh. And I also love in Skipper the Eye Child, where he's talking about the phenomenon of the weird eye monster. He says, I guess we'll never know. So just to repeat that, we'll never know. You're not going to find out later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. The way that they just plaster over all the logical holes. It's great how little we ever get to know about the show itself and the production of the show and these people. We just have these little glimpses and they manage to kind of stay surprising. Even mm-hmm. even Garth, who, you know, is going to annoy you and disappoint you with every actual thing that he says because he's mm-hmm. always just megalomaniacal and and clueless yeah but there are these dean moments where he really surprises you and there are even moments where thornton reed totally surprises you like in, <laughs> in the final episode thornton says humor is the reason he got into medicine which is really really funny and then yeah. he says that in the pussy and that dried up Ugh. 10 years ago, if you'll pardon the Ugh. expression. But you kind of go, ah, Thornton, yeah. did, not, did not know you had that in you. Ugh, but you also just kind of barely learned that Dean Lerner was this playboy. And so you kind of could see maybe Dean and Garth coming up with a line like that. But yeah. it's so, um, I don't know. They managed to make everything over the top while also being kind of subtle about it. No, it's really great. 
And then also in the finale, it reminded me of The Office, which was interesting because this aired before the, or maybe it didn't. Maybe it was like around exactly the same time as the Christmas special of The Office that concluded the series. But he says, Mm -hmm. I I should have written down the actual quote, but do you know what I'm talking about? Where he says that like he wants to be the man who changed the world with his writing or changed the way that you see the world or something like that. And it reminded me of- it's really funny, yeah. Yeah, do you, do you have it written down? I think I do because it was just so completely ridiculous. Yeah, no, it was very much like, you know, how would you like to be remembered? Simply as the man who put a smile on the face of all he knew. Well, Dean Lerner very kindly says his place in history is assured. Mm-hmm. And then the follow-up line is, as a horror writer, I don't ask for much. I just hope I've changed the way you think about life. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. So, Stephanie, has Garth Morangi changed the way that you think about life? You know what? What's great is that in the same sort of meta way that David Brent has achieved his goal of putting a smile on people's faces or, or mm-hmm. whatever it actually is, Garth Morangi has also essentially changed the way I'm going to, to look at life because now there will be things that happen in my real life that remind me of the show. So, Absolutely. So the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Plus, you know, I had never quite had a full-on boner for Mad Berry, but now I fucking do. <laughs> so that's changed Absolutely. things. Because I'll probably start watching what we do in the shadows ASAP. Oh, good. I've been trying to push that show on everybody that I know, and it's good to have mm. some incentive. Some push it on the incentive. Is he in, mm-hmm. is he in every episode? Good. Oh, yeah, he's one of the leads. He's oh, one of the main mm. vampires. Mm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. He's very funny. Has yeah. it changed the way that you look at life? I think for the same reasons that it that it's changed yours. Yeah, you you said it more articulately than than I could. So I'm just gonna say, ditto. <laughs> Woohoo! Woo-hoo. That's a good one. What are we watching next week? We're gonna continue our trend of one season wonders and discuss "Let Them Eat Cake." Right. Which I've never seen. And that stars our homies, right? Yeah. Is that French Jennifer Saunders? Saunders. Sounds good to me. In the meantime, we are really enjoying getting the occasional email from you guys. It's very, very cool to read those. So shoot us a line at anglophiliapodcast at gmail.com if you want. You can also find us on Twitter at Instagram at anglopodcast. And you can search anglophilia on Facebook. Uh, Yeah, send us suggestions, questions, comments, concerns. Um, Just say hello. It's fantastic. Send us fucking fan art. Send us incredible pillows that you have sewn yourself. Oh, I know. God uh, bless Lark. you, Lark. My back is so happy right You've now. You've set the standard, dude. I You've know. You've set a new standard, man. Completely. We want pillows. Also, uh, speaking of fan art, um, we've got some art. If you want to pick up Anglophilia swag, we have adorable pins yes. um, created by Kaylee's wonderful sister, Jema, who also designed our kick-ass logo. Um, they're available on our website, anglophiliapodcast.com check them out also if you want to really go above and beyond go that extra mile you don't have to be as insanely amazing as lark and make me a pillow but if you want to show a little extra love maybe consider becoming our patreon patron if you give a donation of any amount you will be given access to exclusive content that the other nobodies won't be uh, able to hear no you're not nobodies if you don't give us money but we extra love you if you do give us money all right well kaylee i absolutely cannot wait to talk to you in the next couple of days after binging all of let them eat cake and yeah. uh this is us signing off bye guys all right. bye don't drink the green water ha 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 ha